Welcome to the Nourish Nervous System, an exploration of stress, the nervous system, and transformative self-care practices for parents and other humans through the lenses of Ayurveda, holistic coaching, somatics, herbs, and much, much more. I'm the host, Kristen Timchak. I'm a holistic life coach, Ayurvedic educator, herbalist, and mother of a tiny human. Join me for information, insight, deep thoughts, and small steps to help you nourish your nervous system. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to episode six of the Nourish Nervous System. So this morning, I was on my morning walk, and I was thinking about the difference between needs and desires. And so I've been exploring this concept lately because I think it also relates to the work I do as a coach and helping people to change their habits. But we'll get into that in a little bit. First, needs versus desires. A big example of this in my life right now that I've been thinking about is winter. Uh, To give some reference for this, I've been living in California for the past 11 years, and I'm about to move back to New England. I currently live in the foothills of the Sierras right around snow line. So there's this potential for snowy or rainy winters and cold winters here, but most of the winters I've experienced have been very mild and very short. I was looking at pictures from last winter, um, last January, and me and my son were at the river and he was naked playing on the rocks. That's kind of how winter can be here a lot. And if we think about that in terms of traditional Chinese medicine, this area is a very young area. There's a lot of light and warmth and activity, and it's kind of go, go, go all year round because the weather can be nice all year round. In Ayurvedic perspective, it has a lot of vata and pitta. Same concepts, a lot of air and fire and warmth and mobility. And it's beautiful and inspiring, but it's not always grounding. And as a culture, we're generally attracted to this kind of go energy, but we also, we can't exist without the yin, the kapha, that deep, quiet, damp, restful, still place. And yin and kapha are not translations of each other, and they're not interchangeable across philosophies, but they do have similarities. So back to my needs versus my desire. I like the winter here in California. I enjoy 70-degree days in January and walks at the river. I enjoy planting my garden in March. It feels good. I like it. I desire this warm winter. But after many years of this and having my child and then dealing with an autoimmune condition, I think partly because I grew up in the long, cold winters of New England, what I actually need is a long, cold winter. I don't like it, but I need it. And we actually had that this year in California. We had atmospheric rivers in Snowmageddon, and we had feet of snow and over a week without power. And it's just generally been a really cold, wet winter and a very late spring for here. And I haven't liked it, but it's actually what I've needed to slow down and rest and prioritize sleep and have some of that deep yin, dark, cold, still time. I slept a lot this winter, which is all relative as a parent and a cat owner. I've also done a bunch of things to help me prioritize more quality sleep, which I think I'll get into that in another episode. But the amazing part of this is that in the fall and beginning of the winter, I was tired all the time. I would go to bed early, wake up, you know, 
not late, but I would wake up after sleeping for quite a long time and still feel kind of tired and groggy and sort of fatigued during the day. And after this winter of really slowing down and really prioritizing sleep, I'm noticing that just naturally I went to that yin place and now naturally more yang energy is coming back in. I'm noticing that I'm starting to wake up a earlier and feel awake and feel more energy during the day. And so my family and I are moving back to New England soon. And when I tell people about it out here, especially folks that have lived in California their whole lives, there's this range of responses that pretty much boils down to, why would you do that? Isn't it really cold there in the winter? Isn't winter like six months long? You must really like winter. And although There are many aspects of winter that I do like. I love cross-country skiing. I love that quietness of snow. I like the cold. I like the way the sky looks when it's cold. There's such beautiful sunrises and sunsets when it's really cold like that. But even though I like those aspects, I don't necessarily like six months of winter. But in order for me to be in balance throughout the year, I need it. It's my need versus my desire or my want or my preference. I think this shows up in so many areas of our lives. And we live in a culture that is very desire-oriented. Our desires are constantly being advertised to, and it's really easy to lose sight of what our actual needs are. I just want to take a step back and say, I'm not saying that desire is a bad thing or that we shouldn't pay attention to our desires. I'm just saying that it can be important to put our desires into context and also pay attention to our needs and to know the difference between the two. I think desire can be extremely healthy when it's aligned with our needs. It can give us the juice and the reason to move in a certain direction. It can fuel our dreams and our drive. And I think sometimes our needs can bring us into territory that is less exciting, like going to bed at seven o'clock and sleeping through the night or more uncomfortable like having an uncomfortable conversation to have certain needs met. And it can sometimes be less attractive to us, but it can also help us grow, find balance and resilience and to know enoughness. And maybe what happens when our desire is not aligned with our needs is that the desire can turn into addiction or craving, an unhealthy version of desire. So in Ayurvedic thought, When we are healthy and in balance, when we are aligned with our Prakriti or our original blueprint, if you want to know more about Prakriti, you can go back. There's an episode, I think episode number two is kind of gives a breakdown of the lens of Ayurveda and can get into what our Prakriti is. But so anyways, when we're aligned with this, we tend to choose foods, activities, lifestyles, etc. that keep us in balance. But when we get to a certain tipping point of being out of balance, we'll tend to choose things that bring us farther out of balance. I think I experience this the most with food. When I'm in balance, when I'm eating healthy, it's easy for me to stay in that momentum, that inertia of eating healthy. It feels good. I make choices that help me continue to do that. But once I get to a certain place of not eating healthy, then it's like my desires go towards those foods that bring me farther out of balance. I, go, I start to crave more instead of desiring things from a place of balance and health. And I think this tipping point of desire turning into craving is probably different for every person. We all have different blueprints. We all have different circumstances in our lives and 
things that bring us out of balance. So it's really not about ignoring desires, but about checking in with ourselves to see if our desires are aligned with our needs and making sure that the wants aren't getting so loud that they are drowning out our desires. Another example that ties into this in my own life is Netflix. I love watching shows. I love stories and getting swept up in a series is definitely one of my happy places. But the only time that I have to watch shows is after my son is asleep and right before I go to bed. And when I decided to prioritize sleep, I knew I had to let go of Netflix. This was painful for me. It was a way that I checked out a bit at the end of the day. It was relaxing. It felt good. I liked it. But the quality of my sleep is really so much better when I'm not on screens right before bed. My desire was Netflix, but my need was deep, restful sleep. But it was so freaking hard to stop watching shows. The thing that helped me change this was learning about the habit loop during my coaching program. There is a lot of research out there about habits and some great books. One of the books that I love is The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. He breaks habits down into three components, the cue, the routine, and the reward. The routine is usually the easiest part to identify because it's the actual behavior that you are noticing. It's, it's the habit. So my routine was watching shows before bed. The reward can sometimes be harder to figure out, and Charles Dewey recommends experimenting with different rewards to find the one that works in order to change the habit. So with watching Netflix, I was clear that my reward was to check out and be caught up in a story. And so the cue is the thing that triggers this whole response. The cue can often be difficult to pinpoint because there can be so many things happening that could potentially be causing that chain reaction. So Charles Duhigg talks about five categories of habitual cues, and these are location, time, emotional state, other people, and an immediately preceding action. So whatever you're doing right before the habit starts. In my example, my cues both time and immediately preceding action, which is putting my son to bed. In another book about habits called Atomic Habits by James Clear, he breaks the habit loop down a little more into four stages. There's the cue, the craving, the response, and the reward. So the response is the same thing as the routine or behavior. It's the habit. But I like acknowledging the craving or desire separately and as a thing that leads to the response or behavior. And that the craving is highly personal. So for a person who is a smoker, walking past someone smoking a cigarette may be a cue that triggers a craving to have a cigarette, where a non-smoker may have a repulsion to the smell of cigarette smoke. And all of these stages are oriented around the reward. I love that because as I've talked about so much, I love just really recognizing how individual we are and how what might be a cue for one person might be different for another. And just really not making us all cookie cutters and really, really seeing the differences in how we are affected by things. So in the example I just gave, the person who craves a cigarette, the reward isn't the cigarette itself, but the feeling they have from smoking it. And something I'm curious about, going back to the earlier discussion about needs versus desires, is I wonder if the reward would be our need and our bad habits are just misguided ways of fulfilling that need. So for the smoker, they're experiencing need to feel grounded or relax. And so the desire craving for a cigarette is actually the way they've learned to fulfill that need. Hopefully that makes sense. 
I am feeling that there is a connection between getting clear on needs and desire in order to change habits. And I guess if you wanted to take it a step further, looking through an Ayurvedic lens, you can assess how far out of balance you are with your original blueprint to know if what you're feeling is a desire to keep yourself in balance and support your needs or a craving to pull you further out of balance. So in order to change habits, we need to first identify our habit loop for the particular habit, and then you begin to alter parts of the loop. Some habits are really straightforward and others are very complex and could take a really long time or possibly possibly not be able to change. And I think the thing with changing habits is consistency and practice and knowing that it's not going to be a one-time thing, but that it, over a course of time that the habit can change. When the habit was created, it, ha- it was created over the course of time. I love the saying, however far you've walked into the woods is how far you have to walk back out again. And I think this is really true with habits. That's just consistency, patience, and showing up to change it. There are a few ways that you can actually change the habit. So you can try to change the routine, which is the habit, to get the same reward, or you could also try and change the cue. An example of this is the, with the cue is a client that I was working with who wanted to spend less time on her phone while she was hanging out with her child. And what we eventually discovered is that her phone was usually charging in the kitchen, and whenever she walked by, she would look at it. So the cue was the location of the phone. So one way to work with that habit would be to put the phone somewhere less accessible. For my Netflix habit, I decided to try a different behavior to achieve the same reward. So as I've mentioned many times, I love stories. I love watching stories, but I also have a passion for reading stories. Before becoming a mother, I read all the time. I love fiction, especially fantasy series. I think reading these kinds of stories helps me to keep my thinking flexible and to see the world from different perspectives and to keep me expecting magic to unfold. But for some reason, since becoming a mother, I rarely read anymore. My eyes are just too tired at the end of the day. It feels like work to pick up a book and read. So my solution to this and my Netflix habit has been to listen to audiobooks in the evening and either knit or do a puzzle. I love listening to parenting books, self-help books, or podcasts, but for this particular habit loop, it's been important for me to listen to stories. That's the thing that gives me my reward. It would probably be even better for my sleep if I meditated or did yoga before bed, but I'm just not there yet. So this is the first step, but this has totally helped me kick my Netflix habit, and I've been getting really quite better quality sleep. The other thing that made changing this habit feel so much more doable was that I was doing it as a part of my coaching training, and so I had built-in accountability. Accountability is huge. It really helps to have somebody else out there that is holding a certain goal in their mind for you and that you have to let them know how how you're doing, how you're working with it. And it's really powerful. And you may not have the time or resources to work with a coach, but maybe you have a friend or partner or colleague that'd be willing to be an accountability partner for you if you have some habits that you really want to change. It's something we can so easily write off or it feels uncomfortable to ask somebody. And it also feels uncomfortable to change our habits. I mean, that's a huge 
thing. It's why we have these habits is because there's some, some, we're getting that reward from them. There's some sense of comfort and ease. And so I just want to voice that changing habits and even approaching this can be, can feel very uncomfortable. And I think if you really want to make change, I think really being able to sit in that discomfort and, um, and examine it and explore it and be curious about it can really be helpful in the process of, of making any change in life, but especially around habits. I'm going to end there for this one. I feel like there's more I could say, but I feel like I'm starting to get a little bit rambly, so I'm going to stop. But for your small steps this week, just begin to notice your desires and your needs. And maybe your desires in the form of cravings or the wants, and also the desires that are, are healthy and align and in balance. And are these desires, are they aligned with your needs or are your needs getting drowned out by your wants? And you could also, for maybe another small step, can you can just see if you have any habits that you'd like to shift, take one habit. It could be so, so small and simple and see if you can identify the underlying need and other ways that you could fulfill it, or if there's a certain cue that could be changed. And you don't have to actually do it yet. Maybe the first step is just becoming aware of the habit, noticing it, noticing what's going on underneath it. And I think that knowledge in itself can be so powerful in in the beginning of shifting things. Okay, my dear friends, thank you so much for being here, for listening. And I really, really look forward to being with you again next week. Hey there. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. It helps new podcasts like this one get seen by other people. If you didn't like it, I hope you're still listening. Life is way too short to listen to podcasts you don't like. 